Hello and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So Rifki, this is our 21st episode. We're really getting up there. It's ridiculous. It's it feels like cool. just yesterday. We thought we'd make it this far. First time walking into drive-in studios. <laughs> it was beautiful and still is, by the way, the upkeep. They take good care of this place. <laughs> well, there's an event happening today, at the day that we're recording on Sunday, it's called the Woman Seder. Are you familiar with it? I, I've been reading a lot about it. I actually, at first, I, I kind of laughed and then kind of rolled my eyes like a little bit too on the nose, a little too gimmicky. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting. I thought it'd be really cool. And you know, more and more as they've done more advertising about it, basically, it's it's similar to the the Man Seder that happens mm-hmm. at a lot of shuls that we've talked about and gotten a lot of feedback about. But um, instead of four rabbis, you know, f- to go along with the four courses, four different types of wine, or you know, however they generally do it, it's four female teachers. Um, giving Divrei Torah, and the teachers look really cool. It's a lot of people who I'm actually really interested in listening well, to. Well, I was interested in listening to them also. Unfortunately, oh. I'm not invited. Wow, reverse discrimination. Yeah, well, it's here, real. Here's how they describe the event on their Facebook page. This is in response to the many, quote, man-saders uh, we have seen across the country and the many women who expressed interest in an event that breaks down the gender stereotypes that man promote. Listen, I have no problem with this event. And, and what I, and I, I guess a lot of other people were saying when there was criticism of the man concept, it was like, listen, make a woman Seder. That's fine. And now they're doing it. So it's obviously fine. But it's funny that what these people are basic seem to say is that the man Seder promotes gender stereotypes, but the woman Seder breaks down gender stereotypes. Well, like why I, is, what does that mean exactly? I wonder if what, what they seem to be saying, and I'm not sure because the event is tonight, we don't actually know yet, if what that means is part of the conversation that happens at the Seder is going to be sort of discussing gender in the context of maybe Pesach, in the context of maybe having female or male-only spaces. Like I'm wondering how much that's going to be a part of the conversation. Like in the man Seder, they don't really seem to be discussing the fact that it's male only. It just happens to be a male only event. But I think for the female Seder, it seems like what they're trying to do, or are they calling Seder. it the woman Seder? Okay. So for the woman Seder, it seems like part of the discussion at the event is meant to be about gender and about gender only spaces, which I think right. makes it more conscious and therefore it makes me a little bit more comfortable with it. Right. I mean, I have a bunch of uh, thoughts about it. My main thought is just like, okay, great, live and let live, do your thing. I'm very curious to hear from maybe some insiders who are there uh, how it goes. But honestly, I really would consider going. And if these people who are organizing it really were, did really have a problem with the man because it was excluding women, why didn't they make this event for everybody? That would really be, a, you know, a no, contrast to the I mean, I think it's similar man-sater. to something like Barnard College where they're saying, look, there are male-only spaces. We're going to create a female-only space in response. They're not going to create a... What's the, what's the male equivalent of Barnard? Barnard was created in response to Columbia well, University crea- being a male-only right, But it's not space. anymore. Right, it's not. But the idea, the reason women continue to flock to Barnard is because in general, right, the, the argument is, and you might roll your eyes at this, but that society is a space that is generally a male space in which women are included as well, but there is no space in which women feel like they are empowered and they are in control and they feel like they have a full autonomy of themselves and their own decisions, etc. Right. I think there is truth to that. I'm not saying I completely disagree with it. I just think it's interesting. And I think that having a women's Seder and, and expressing it the way they are is also interesting. And I'm curious. It is to interesting. It's it pretty goes. cool. I mean, Jofa, the organizers, which is the Jewish Orthodox Feminist Alliance, they one of the things they do is they create uh, spaces for women, right? Uh, for women, by women. Um, but they also create, you know, the, the Jofa conference every few years is a co-ed space. It's co-ed, right. Yeah. Men are invited to that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely interested to hear how the how the event goes this evening. Yeah. 
Another interesting thing that happened this past week was on Tuesday it was Giving Day for Yeshiva University. So I'm a graduate of YU. Rifki, you went to Hopkins. Yeah, I was not. Unfortunately and fortunately, a student at Yeshiva University ever. But it's definitely a big part of your world and yeah. your life. I, yeah. I think that's fair I think fair most people who, who have a modern Orthodox background and friend group, they have uh, so many connections to YU they don't even realize. Right. So an interesting thing that uh, they did to promote Giving Day where they had a certain goal. I think it was, what was it, $3 million? I'm not sure. They had a certain goal of, of money that they wanted to raise within 24 hours, and they got a bunch of celebrities or semi-celebrities to do these short um, videos that they posted on Facebook to promote Giving Day. So let's play a couple of them. The first one I'm going to play is from Lin-Manuel Miranda, who actually has a pretty uh, extensive history with YU. He received an honorary doctorate at my graduation, and his father is very... Was that when In the Heights was Yes, was out? so he, he grew up in Washington Heights. His father is very involved in community politics, and his mother, I think, either teaches or at least taught at Einstein. Hello, and happy 2018 Giving Day for Yeshiva University. Yeshiva are uh, amazing neighbors here in Washington Heights, and they have programs that benefit not just the Washington Heights neighborhood, but all over New York. So I hope that you find it in your heart to give today. So I actually, I mean, I like that one. I have certain mixed feelings about Lynn for another time. But the, first of all, if you, if you look at, if you watch the video, he's looking at the camera the whole time. He doesn't look like he's reading off a piece of paper. And his connection is personal. He grew up in Washington Heights and he talks about the community connection, which is a real thing that why he right. really does contribute to the Washington Heights community, not just to the Jewish community or the students. And I thought that one was nice. So here's one from Chuck Schumer. Hi, it's Senator Chuck Schumer. And a hearty asher koyach to <laughs> University on 2018 Giving Day. The great work that the students and faculty do to make our world a better place, it's great and inspiring. Continued success. Keep up the good work. Hatzlacha. <laughs> okay, so this one is... A, okay. He's a politician, and so he does connect <laughs> to Wyatt. Oh, that was so cute. If you watch the video, he's very clearly looking off screen, reading a piece of paper or whatever. Right, something is aided so he's holding up something. next to the camera. He has to throw in those words. He does that a lot. He did that at APAC also. I wasn't there, but I, I heard and I saw that he, he likes to throw in those uh, you know Yiddish phrases yeah. or bagel. And it's not bageling. just the words. He, he has the accent down he, well, very yeah, well. He's Jewish. He yeah. has some kind of background. Um, this one bothered me a little bit. Um, I don't think he actually has anything to do with YU. I, don't, I also don't really think he cares or believes in the mission of YU at all. That's my opinion or speculation. Um, but this I'm not one, sure if, I mean, do you think he knows the mission of YU? Uh, right, he might not know it. That also I'd be willing to accept very quickly. But this one, at least, it's sort of relevant because he's a politician and YU, because of, you know, sure. building and the existence, yeah. it relates to politics. I so, imagine any university in New York, if they reached out to Senator Schumer, I think he would do might it. Might get it, right. Um, but the way he, but it's then the question on that one is just if he's going to do it half-heartedly or like clearly d didn't even spend 30 seconds preparing, is it worth it or is it like degrading to the well, Do cause? you mean is it worth it to YU? Yeah. Well, if it's going to raise YU money, then they I, don't care. I guess so, but <laughs> it, it seems a little bit embarrassing. But here's, here's the one that really... But there was a, So there was a really cool one from comedian Ben Schwartz, who we're both a big fan sure, of. Sure, Benny Schwa. I like that one a lot. I don't think he has anything to do with YU. I think it was like a family connection. But his video was actually funny. He also grew up in Riverdale. So like... Fine, yes. So I'm not going to criticize that one. That one's off limits. But here's, <laughs> here's one from former New York Giant Tiki Barber. Hi, this is Tiki Barber, formerly of the New York Giants. When I think of Hero, 
I think Yeshiva University, YU students, faculty, and alumni are doing heroic work making the world a much better place. Join Yeshiva University on April 25th as it celebrates its 2018 Giving Day and check out their hashtag YUHero Giving Day campaign at givingday.yu.edu. Okay. Okay, he has a great voice. <laughs> great voice, great delivery. He's looking at the camera the whole time. I'm sure he's reading something, but sure. they positioned it in a way that he's looking in, in the same spot the whole time. But he says, when I think of hero, I think of Yeshiva University. <laughs> Do you think that's possible? I, I don't know. My first thought was that he must be saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek. But it's, I don't think so. Also, because why do you think Tiki Barber did this video? Okay. Like, why is I, this something that... From is... what I understand, I think mm-hmm. all of these videos were through connections of one kind or another. Like, Ben Schwartz, I think, was related to somebody high up in YU. Some of these might be, like, I don't, I'm just guessing, like, accountants or lawyers who are associated with these people... Um, who asked them for a favor? Wow. I know that's just so playing into a stereotype, but I, I'm I'm just gonna say it anyway. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was connections. I don't think any of them were paid for these. And I think the simplest thing you could say is, if they can get them and it could help, even raise a little bit more money, why not? My problem with it, especially the Tiki Barber one, there's also one from Mariano Rivera, former New York Yankee pitcher. It's like on the one hand, it's kind of cool to see these people and hear them saying the words Yeshiva University. Right. But what bothers me about it is. The only reason these are, these videos are being posted is because these people are celebrities. And we are in a celebrity culture where we almost like look up to these celebrities. This is a football player. This is a baseball player. They have nothing to do with Yeshiva University, with the mission of Yeshiva University. And then they're saying, when I think of a hero, I think of YU. It seems so disingenuous and it seems very superficial. And I know that that's our culture and our society, but I guess I would, ex- I would hope that Yeshiva University right. would hold itself to a slightly higher standard. Right. I know that's like a little bit No, no, I think harsh. that's true. I think that's true. I mean, the reason that... Let's say I, Rifki Stern, right? Why would I give to Yeshiva University? I, I would like to imagine the reason that I would give to Yeshiva University is because I believe in the mission. I believe in what they're trying to accomplish. So I think that Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of hinted to that in a certain way by saying that Yeshiva University gives back, right? I would like to see maybe an example or two. Mm-hmm. But I think the idea... Well, it, an example that is, would be the... the, the the campus areas that the street that they closed down is now like a plaza. Right, right. I mean, it's I would like for New York for, City Park that for these videos all, to be talking about specific examples. Well, I, mean, I, I know there are specific the, examples, right. but I mean, when when Tiki Barber says it, because I kind of know that Tiki Barber doesn't really have a connection to the mission of Yeshiva University, so I'm not sure why I would be convinced by anything that Tiki Barber has to say, except that because he's a celebrity, I kind of deep in the recesses of my brain give him a little bit more authority, which is crazy that I give. Tiki Barber authority about Yeshiva University when I know a lot more about Yeshiva University than he does. You know, I would love to see for videos like this, I would love to see people who were actually impacted right. by YU giving these statements, right? Alumni who said, hey, I couldn't afford the tuition. YU gave me a break and this is what I do now. And this is how I now want to give back to YU. I think they have done videos like that. I just didn't see them this time I imagine around. this year they're trying this tack because this tack is more successful, which right. is kind of a sad commentary about, about us. But you know what? Honestly, we might I be wish being we a little knew, bit too idealistic. I wish we knew people who worked at YU who could really give us some feedback about this. I don't think there's any secret. I mean, I think we just we said already what it, what it yeah. is that they're doing. And they might even agree that, yeah, this is a little superficial. But listen, this is what gets yeah. people to write checks. Actually, the truth is that in general, when I think about YU feels a little bit different, YU is very sort of mission-driven, hopefully, and YU is a, sort of a specific type of university, and it is something that, you know, well, particularly I live in Washington Heights, it is really in my backyard, but in general, the idea of sort of donating as an alum to a university is something that sometimes 
gives me pause. Um, and I have this back and forth all the time in my head and also with, uh, with friends and with Hopkins. When Hopkins calls to ask me for money, I sometimes sort of ask them and I, I know I'm being that jerk and the person who's calling me, she didn't make the decision or he didn't make the decision and they don't want to be on the phone with me either. But yes, I paid tuition and I got a great education, right? This was a trade. When I go to see a movie, when I walk out, if I really enjoy the movie, they don't say, hey, you really like the movie? Okay, do you want to pay a little bit more so that other people can go see the movie? Yes, I did receive a tuition break, thank God, otherwise there's no way I would have been able to attend. But Hopkins is not, when I think about a charity, I don't think of university as the best charity in the world, right? Like, if Hopkins closed down tomorrow, I'd be a little bit sad because I have a personal connection to it. But would the world be impacted? Would fewer people get great educations? No, I don't think so. So YU is a little distinct there, but the idea in general of making this major push to give to a university feels a little bit strange to right. me. Right. I think where you're basically coming from, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you're saying this is, yes, this is an important institution, whether it's Hopkins or Yeshiva University, maybe even more so for, for you or me. But um, on the list of causes and nonprofits that I can give to with my limited resources, this is not very high up on the list. Yeah, absolutely. And even though Tiki Barber might try to convince me that I should, you know, reassess my priorities, I can't imagine that or Tiki Barber or Lin-Manuel Miranda or any of these people can really create sort of a, a strong argument for why this is the best use of my, my charity. Right. Well, I guess we're kind of in agreement on that. But I think what's ironic is that the only reason why we're talking about this in the first place is because it's kind of cool that they got these people to right. do these videos. And I did want to play them yeah. on the podcast. Especially Ben Schwartz. No. Hey, 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 I'm Ben Schwartz. And when I think superhero, I think, see, I can't rip it off. That Superman rips it. I can't rip it off. You got to go button by button. Superman must ruin shirts. He must. I think Yeshiva University. Yeshiva University is celebrating its student heroes on April 25th. So check out their hashtag YUHeroGivingDay at GivingDay. .yu.edu. And in the meantime, ya hashtag ya hero. Is that what it means? No. Okay, well, to get into our main topic for today, we wanted to talk about Jordan Peterson. So I didn't know who this was until uh, a couple months ago when my friend Avi um, told me about him. He has a new book coming out, and there were a number of articles in The New Yorker and Commentary Magazine um, reviewing his book and just talking about the Jordan Peterson phenomenon in general. And so there's a short video from NBC News that kind of explains who he is. In a time of polarizing politics, Dr. Jordan Peterson refuses to be pigeonholed. You're not going to decide what words I'm going to use. In the past two years, the Canadian psychologist and academic has been adopted as a hero of the Donald Trump-loving alt-right. Diversity, inclusivity, equity, all of those things together in particular make up a very toxic brew. He takes direct aim at the far left and its effects on young men, whom he says have been hurt by a society that overvalues political correctness and pushes them away from traditional male roles. His new self-help book, 12 Rules for Life, is already a bestseller. Hundreds of thousands subscribe to his online lectures. His speeches regularly attract protests. And his new speaking tour is selling out. It feels like a movement, and I'm excited to be a part of it. I think he's dangerous because of the sorts of people that he enables. Journalist John Semley has criticized Peterson. Is there an ideological similarity between Jordan Peterson and Donald Trump and his followers? 
I would say fundamentally, yes. They both believe in this basic split of winners and losers, of hierarchies, of hierarchies being natural. Peterson doesn't apologize for his mostly male audience and tells them not to apologize for their privilege, describing himself as a kind of father figure. Get your bloody act together, but I'm on your side. Using psychology, religion, and biology to justify the same inequality the left opposes. What you're saying, it just sounds a bit grim, doesn't it? <laughs> no. No? No, it sounds a lot grim. It's not a <laughs> bit grim. So how... It's as grim as it gets. And it's that grim view that's made Peterson a target for his critics. Does any of it frighten or upset you? Yeah, all the time. Constantly. And an object of adoration to his ever-growing legion of fans. Matt Bradley, NBC News, Toronto. Okay, so I think that is a decent overview to get an idea or a taste of what he's about, but I actually think that video touched on a big aspect of the Jordan Peterson phenomenon that is important to be aware of, but the way they described it almost made it seem more intricate to who he is, which is the fact that a big part of his following are these alt-right Trump supporters. The way they tried to portray it in the video, and then a lot of other videos and articles that you can find online try to say it, is that he is almost responsible, if not for Trump's existence, then for the perpetuation of those kind of ideas and everything that goes along with that. And I think that's a very interesting thing to talk about. I mean, I think, do you I, think he's responsible for that so kind of thing? I don't think he's responsible, but I think the the argument that I think... I sort of relate to more is that a lot of people think that the Trump followers and people who sort of are this anti-PC world, they're just kind of self-involved and they're not so smart and they're looking for, uh, they feel sort of emasculating, quote unquote, and they feel sort of like they don't have a place in the sort of um, power structure that they used to have. And what Jordan Peterson does is he gives them a sort of intellectual voice, right? Because he has a doctorate, because he is a professor of, I think, psychology and philosophy. And because he has these books, basically they can say, ha, you might think I'm an idiot, but look, I'm following that guy. And you can't say he's an idiot. He's a professor at Harvard for a while. So I think there's also, they, they can kind of use him as a guiding post right, there. But so what I think is interesting is that for the most part, what he is saying is like you like you said, he's anti-PC. Like that's a little bit vague, but to try to be more specific, what he, he tries to say is that you can't control my thoughts. If I'm just trying to understand an idea, you can't I'm allowed to say what I think, and having opinions is not a crime, and things like that that are in a way neutral, that could that's not good or bad, but then a lot of people will latch onto it and use it to then say, oh, you can't control what I think, and now I'm going to say hate speech, I'm going to be a neo-Nazi, I'm right. going to try to attack people. Yeah. And so yeah. he has publicly disavowed neo-Nazis or, and violence every anytime he's been asked about it, but he's still constantly attacked for that. I think that Jordan Peterson, the reason that um, many of you and the reason that I first came to hear of him was this whole um, brouhaha in Canada about this new bill that they were trying to pass about not about being obligated, if I um, declare my gender pronoun to be they, that you are obligated to use my preferred gender pronoun. Um, and what happens if you don't, according to this law? Um, I, I can't imagine you're in prison, but it's let me... A fine? Something like that. Like, I don't think it's a, you know, it's, it's obviously not criminal. Um, but I think that what's interesting about this is basically this is part of what sort of catapulted him to fame is that he basically went out in public and said, like, look, if you ask me to call uh, you they, 
Should I? Yeah, maybe it's a nice thing to do. But for you to dictate that I must call you they is ludicrous. It is against the idea of free speech, which is so much more fundamentally important than, you know, this sort of like silly idea of what I call you. Um, And I think that gave a lot of sort of ammunition to people on the right and people who were very anti this this whole idea of uh, multiple genders and, you know, more complicated things like that, which is not fundamentally the argument that he was making. Obviously, now I think, you know, he's become more vocal about it. Um, But I think it's really interesting that something like that free speech thing, right, which I feel pretty comfortable that he's right. You know, the reason I should call you they, if you request to be called they, is because I have nice, good manners. I was raised well. So even whether I think it's ridiculous or not, which I personally, Rifki, might not think it's ridiculous, whether I think it's ridiculous or not, I'm going to do it. But the idea that I should be dictated to do it is a little bit ludicrous. I also do want us to acknowledge, even though I think this is a little bit obvious, neither of us are gay and neither of us are transgender. So both these things that we talk about, obviously we we are trying to be sensitive and trying to be thoughtful, but this is not our lived experience, either of us. Um, so it's it's a hard conversation for yes. us to really feel like we're internalized. Right. I think yes, we've been it's been pointed out and I agree it's important to to express that explicitly. And honestly I, I agree that if somebody asks me to call them they or call them she when I would have called them he, I have no problem with that because, I mean, it doesn't affect my life. If they say that that's going to make them happy or that's going to make them feel more like who they are, that's fine. And I guess it's the question is, am I obligated to do that? That's not a fight that I personally am interested in having. Let's play a couple more clips from Jordan Peterson just to get a little bit of a better idea of uh, where he's coming from and and what he's setting out to accomplish. One of the problems with postmodernism is that, and this is a big problem, like this is a fatal problem, apart from the fact that it's incoherent and there's no value structure in it and it's fundamentally divisive and destructive. There's a logical problem with it too that's even worse. And so you might be noticing that the LGBT set of acronyms keeps growing, eh? And it's kind of... It's kind of a form of its own parody in some sense. It's like, well, I'm oppressed. It's like, yeah, yeah, you are. And well, I'm oppressed too. Yeah, you're also oppressed. And maybe I'm even oppressing you being part of this other marginalized group, but at least we share our oppression. Well, I'm also oppressed. Well, so am I, I'm oppressed too. It's like, okay, so here's a problem. There's a big problem here. The problem is, it's true. You're oppressed, you're oppressed, you're oppressed, you're oppressed. God only knows why. Maybe you're too short or you're not as beautiful as you could be. Or, you know, your parent, your grandparent was a serf, likely, because almost everybody's grand, great-grandparent was. It's like, you know, and you're not as smart as you could be. And you have a sick relative and you have your own physical problems. And it's like, frankly, you're a mess. And you're oppressed in every possible way, including your ancestry and your biology. And the entire sum of human history has conspired to produce victimized you with all your individual pathological problems. It's like, yes, true. I think what he's saying and part of his whole philosophy is uh, he talks, and these are not new ideas. He didn't invent them, obviously, but he's very into personal responsibility and not blaming other people for your shortcomings or your challenges, even if some of the blame does go on other people, which it always does in one way or another, but instead to focus your energies more on improving yourself and improving your situation than on attacking others that you see see as your oppressors. Sure. I mean, I, I think I 
personally can definitely get behind that, right? As if I, Rifki Stern, feel like I am paralyzed because I feel like I've been victimized because of X, Y, and Z, it is absolutely more useful for me to focus on getting out of that victimization and getting out of that paralysis much more so than it would be useful for me to focus on who has personally been victimizing me. That's obviously much less useful. But I think structurally to understand how to change our culture, how to change our government, how to really fix these larger structural cultural problems, it is less useful to just focus on the individual and how to fix. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I think both have to be true at once. To help the individual, it is very useful for me to focus on what I can do to change my circumstances and how to better myself. But as a culture and as a world, it is also useful to think about what larger structural problems exist and how to solve those problems. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be one or the other. I think he is focusing on one over the other and other people are focusing on the other over that one. The question that I think is is most interesting here is, is he a positive force or a negative force? Should we be criticizing him as, I wish he didn't exist, or we need to speak out against what he's doing? Or do we say, no, no that's an important voice. He's It's a very narrow voice, and he's ignoring a lot of important things, but what he's saying is important in a broader context if we bring in other things also. The truth is that I think what he's saying doesn't sound so radical to me. I think what, what becomes more problematic is that, A, people on the right take his ideas to this ridiculous extreme, right. and they say, oh my God, that means that he is a member of the alt-right. And then people on the left, right, which is also crazy, is they take his ideas to the extreme and also say, wow, look, he's a member of the alt-right, which I think fundamentally when... I watch a few of these YouTube videos and I think fundamentally that's just not true. He's saying pretty, yeah, they're they're kind of socially conservative, but he's not a crazy conservative right wing, you know, anti LGBT, right. right? He doesn't I would seem say he's like probably that person. More, he's probably more libertarian than conservative. He, I mean, because he's also anti-religious. Yeah, um, like, which is also <laughs> so funny because people talk all the time about his religious arguments, but he is not a religious person. Well, because he promotes free speech and, and free thought. Um, I personally don't love him. I don't, you know, I don't look up to him. I don't admire him. It's interesting. Like, as the more that I read about him, the more that I think about him, the more comparisons I find to someone like Ben Shapiro. Right. But I find someone like Ben Shapiro so much more obnoxious and abrasive and offensive and not well thought out. And I think Jordan Peterson is actually much more nuanced than that. I think it's interesting you compare him to Ben Shapiro. I hear what you're saying. I don't love Ben Shapiro either, and I agree that they're in similar categories. The exact differences and similarities, I guess, could be debated. The reason why I'm not particularly impressed with Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson, because I don't like their tone. I wouldn't call their tone hateful. Some people probably would. I wouldn't call it hateful. I just find it abrasive and not friendly, not kind, and... That personally bothers me. I don't think they should be shut out from the public conversation. But I think if, if I think there are ways of saying controversial opinions without being overtly mean to individuals or to groups. Right. I think a really interesting, very current example of this whole idea is what happened this week with Kanye West. Were you following that yeah. story? <laughs> so it's really, really interesting. He basically in a few different ways, expressed admiration, which I think he's, he has done in the past, for Donald Trump and their relationship with each other. He wore a MAGA hat, and he, he said, I don't, you know, I don't agree with everything he says, but I like him as a person. We both have dragon energy. He said something really funny <laughs> like that. And people got really upset. A lot of African Americans were very upset. And it, it really comes down to this question of, does he have a right to have a personal view or opinion, even if that 
opinion upsets people. But again, also relates back to the Shima University question of why does it bother us so much that we don't like the way Kanye West thinks about Donald Trump? Why do I give any sort of authority to Kanye West and the way he thinks about Donald Trump more so than I give right. well, myself or question. you? Right. Like, I think fundamentally, why we're well, so upset about Kanye West. because he's the greatest artist of our generation. Exactly. That's why. I mean, I do think that Kanye West is incredibly brilliant and talented, but I weirdly give him authority in the realm of politics when right. I, I don't mean, know why I should. Fair question. I think, you know, on the scale of things, an artist and a musician who writes lyrics for a living is more in that world than an athlete more than play, Tiki Barber than play, and who plays Shiva football University. when it comes to ideology and politics but yes obviously that's a fair question um, it's because he has a platform and he has inserted himself into that world but I, I think the, the Kanye West thing is very interesting and I'm curious to see how that plays out also there's actually a very interesting I think someone someone created it and put them on Twitter but someone took New Yorker random New Yorker cartoons and um, put Kanye West tweets from the past week as the captions and I actually thought it was very funny <laughs> that's awesome I yeah, want to see great. that I'll send I'll put the link in the show notes for this episode great Bruh, I never ever stopped fighting for the people actually wearing the hat to show people that we equal you gotta see the vantage point of the people what makes you feel equal makes them feel evil see that's the problem with this damn nation all blacks gotta be democrats man we ain't made it off the plantation and that's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. As usual, we really, really, really love to have your support. Please rate and review us in the iTunes store, preferably five stars, but obviously, you know, you do what you feel comfortable with. And of course, please, please, please be in touch with us. We love to hear your thoughts, especially if you hate us. Talking Talkless Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, also on our Facebook page. Uri, who do we have to thank for this episode? Well, as always, we need to thank Drive In Productions for sponsoring our episode and for letting us record in their studio. Also, I would want to say that we are open to accepting other sponsors. <laughs> um, so anyone who has a company or a business that wants to get their word out there to a really thoughtful and important demographic of people, namely our listeners, um, <laughs> contact us either on the Facebook page or on our, at our email. And uh, we'd also like to thank Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Talkless, and they give us our theme song. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you.